0: To spread love and joy, faith and more to people who know inside every man Lives the
1: seed of life if he looks with
2: good morning on this fine Thursday day. Uh, this is The Real World on CITR 101.9 FM. Um, I'm Quincy, your host today, and we're here with James and Emily. James and Emily, say hi.
3: Hi, and just so you know, my name is in fact DJ Shark Jockey to you all. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, you can you can ignore him from here on in. Uh, yeah, Um, today, since we're showing at The Norm Theater this week, uh, UBC Film Society Cinema on Campus. We're showing There Will Be Blood. So today we figured we'd have a Paul Thomas Anderson talk. Mm -hmm. Kind of, we're all big fans of the PTA man. Damn straight. Which is what we call him. Um, And yeah, we figured we'd just start talking about him. So why don't we start with There Will Be Blood. I saw it yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite of his films, if not my favorite of his films. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know. It's a masterpiece, just like many more of his films.
3: Mm, yeah. I feel like uh, this is arguably his best film. It's the only real competition for me is Magnolia. But uh, for those who don't know, this is a film he made that stars Daniel Day-Lewis as this uh, oil baron in the early 20th century. Uh, and it's very much just a character study of just the purest sociopath, I guess you could call him. Yeah. I don't
4: think that... Okay, so we should probably like
3: um,
4: talk about... The character more because I don't think it's as as quite as searing as you make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Daniel Day Lewis starts off as a um, a silver miner, um, and he uh, this is like very hard work. He at, at the beginning of the movie he almost doesn't talk for the first twenty minutes mm-hmm. of the film. Um, so you just get a, a sense of um, how sort of hardened he is, or, or and how um, he. Maybe isn't a misanthrope, but has definitely um, secluded himself. He's from... motivated. Yeah, he's no. super motivated. Yeah. He, um, he, like is down in these mines, like constantly putting himself at l- and the people that he occasionally works with at a uh, quite great risk. And then, uh, uh, by chance, he discovers oil, um, mm-hmm. and he begins his little sort of like entrepreneurial business starting from nothing the movie's Mm -hmm. set at um um like on the western uh like i guess like the late 1800s so um like the american west and um i I guess that from there it sort of follows his um his escalating wealth and his um like ever uh Spir- downward spiraling personal life. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. so you sort of have these two poles that
2: Does he ever really um, have a personal life though?
4: Yeah, well he okay, so he um uh when around the time when he first discovers oil he um mm. uh, one of the people that he works with dies, um quite a gruesome death. He like a a part of an oil Derek falls on his head. Um mm. And he leaves behind a beautiful baby boy, a bouncing baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel Plainview, um, takes that baby um, as his sort of, like, bartering tool to, like, sort of charm all the other... Mm. Um, yeah, he's the face he, of the business. Exactly. exactly. So he's, he's he's putting forward this idea of, like, uh, like, a family man. He's, like, tender. But really he's just exploiting um, this boy, H.W., um, to... Um, like win the hearts of landowners in the West so that they um, sort of concede to his demands more easily. Mm -hmm. Um, That's Mm -hmm. not to say that he doesn't love H.W. I don't think he quite understands the way he feels as the movie goes on. Mm -hmm. He's definitely like contemptuous, but...
2: um, Yeah, and he's clearly confused. I mean, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't want to ruin the ending, but at the end it seems Mm -hmm. that he's kind of Descended well and truly into madness, mm-hmm. and he's kind of mm, yeah. not quite sure what he's doing, and his only mm. aim is just
4: capital. Capital. <laughs> um,
2: so essentially, he's uh, traveling around California, trying to buy buy up plots of land all over the place, mm-hmm. and this mysterious Paul Dano comes and visits him, and like barter[s] for money, for information, for a place where the oil seeps up through the ground. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out to be a good prospect, so he goes there with HW, and they kind of scout it out, and they meet this the Sunday family, which is the family of the boy Paul who you yeah, have Paul Dano, and there's another Paul Dano there, mm-hmm. a twin we assume, but you never know two for the price of one, exactly. Yeah, Paul Dano kind of discount, <laughs> um, and yeah, he picks up shop there. Mm-hmm. And his main kind of like competition is not anything that you'd expe- expect. He mean he kind of makes competition out of standard oil, mm, no. even though they're not really being that antagonistic. But his main competition is the church there run by Eli, who is the other Paul Dano, mm-hmm. who is constantly aggravating him. I guess I'm not sure. Well, mm-hmm.
4: they sort of in uh, they um, make this deal where that um, the Sundays will allow Daniel to, um, dig for oil on their land. Um, if some of the prophets go towards, um, uh, building and then supporting, uh, the church the of the, church third, of the third revelation, yeah. which isn't um,
3: any sort of standardized religion. It's just Eli's religion yeah. about how awesome Eli is kind of.
4: Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and he, he's, uh, like claims that he has these like sort of mystic powers but the um so like over the film they start off with this sort of like shabby looking church and Mm -hmm. then as more and more oil is sold the church becomes this sort of like opulent um really modern looking very clean um place (laughs) where it seems that Eli performs, like, exorcisms mm-hmm. on on people um, and eventually performs one on uh, um, Daniel. Um, I'm not
3: quite sure if it was an exorcism. It just seemed to be some it sort of... It was a baptism, of, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah
4: well he's like the way he's screaming at yeah. them that's like uh, it just like seems like he's trying to exercise mm-hmm. these people um like screaming like "Get out of here, ghost yeah. like this kind of stuff um as if he can like through like his like powerful rich church like mm-hmm. um like purify his
2: yeah, people. it's probably the most um in terms of period pieces that paul Thomas Anderson's done mm. it's the Farthest afield, said no, so I think is. it's like nineteen o two is when it, it's he's first kind of like dating for silver. Mm. it then starts then and it goes till nineteen eleven is the main kind of little Boston stuff, mm. and then closes in nineteen twenty seven or something like that,
3: yeah, it's right after the uh stock market crash yeah. like about with a year or so,
2: yeah um and yeah, no, it's pretty terrific, I think some of the best writing in mm. any paul Thomas Anderson. Mm -hmm, Um, super dark yeah really dark Mm, um a lot of like okay shoot oh no i
4: it even though it is like quite um like a menacing script they're also like maybe through like discomfort of the sort of terrible things that happen um or like Kind of how ridiculous the like contempt that Daniel shows, like you kind of laugh at parts Mm -hmm. of the script Mm -hmm. um, at how extreme things are. I find that's
3: like a typical thing that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson does in all of his films. Like he described this as sort of gear shift, which he likes to say is kind of like just sort of a a whiplash of feelings. Like you can maybe you might be watching something that's rather horrible, but you find yourself laughing Mm -hmm. at it, or you find yourself sort of laughing at one second in an absolute horror the next kind of thing.
2: I've not heard that. That's cool. That makes a lot of sense, though. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm. Um. Yeah, so uh,
2: just briefly, it might be good to kind of go over PTA's filmography. Mm-hmm. Just kind of give the listeners a little idea. Uh, his first film was Hard Eight after he produced The Doug Diggler Story mm-hmm. um, when he was around, I guess, like 18. No. Yeah, 1988, and he was born in 70. So he made The Duck Diggler Story. And then short cold Cigarettes and Coffee. And then his first feature was called Hard Eight. Um, all about gambling. I've not personally seen Hard Eight. Yeah. I don't think any of us have. But yeah, heard good things. Mm,
3: yeah. <laughs> um, then he came out with Boogie Nights in 97. Which
4: is amazing, It's
3: incredible. Yeah. despite starring Marky Mark in the period when he was known as Marky Mark, it's still really good. Mark it, he's past. he's like
4: one of the best actors ever, and like <laughs> so perfectly cast in that role. Yeah.
2: Mm, yeah. Also, Julianne Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman, John mm-hmm. C. Riley. Philip Seymour um,
3: Hoffman's a sort of recurring actor. Burt Reynolds. Oh, Reynolds oh, is not yeah. good
2: old Bert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then Magnolia, which um, is one of his longer films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With one of his bigger casts as well, Tom Mm. Cruise features in that one as well as Julianne Moore again.
3: Um, Who else? It's been so long since I've seen that film. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Anthony Baker Hall, John C. Riley. The list goes on and on. Yeah. yeah. What's
4: and then and then after that is there? No, no, Punch Drunk Love.
3: PTA does the deconstructive Adam Sandler film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm
4: -hmm. I think that's really cool, and then so after, and then was there will be blood, and then the master, and then uh, then there will be blood. Another five year gap the master, and then yeah. I think it's really interesting if you sort of like look at the uh, the chronology that we've like laid out. um, How he started off with these sort of like epic ensemble casts, um, Mm -hmm. these like intertwining Mm storylines, and then all of a sudden with Punch Drunk Love, he kind of like um, shuns that and focuses on an isolated person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys make anything interesting of that? You know, maybe yeah. it's
2: just a change in his, I don't know, thoughts upon how cinema should be
3: done. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's good. But
4: he returns to mm-hmm. it, I guess, and, I, well, not well, really. Well, <laughs> is
3: still very much a focus on just sort of one character, but it does have a large yeah. ensemble cast, yeah. though there are many characters that feature for one or two scenes throughout the entire film, played mm-hmm. by big-name actors. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. But, like different to the sort of like um uh story arcs that are in Magnolia mm. or um boogie nights mm, yeah. um which definitely uh spend more time um like getting into other characters sc- psychologies whereas the I guess mm-hmm. like after punch drunk love, you only get this like solitary figure. Um, which mm-hmm. I feel like maybe he was working towards. Mm-hmm. Like if you look mm-hmm. at Mark Wahlberg and Boogie Nights, like he's like this, uh, like the perfect anti hero mm-hmm. Like, but super also
2: at the whim of the, the rest of the ensemble, he's mm-hmm. so kind of right. shaped right. by everyone so, else like, in the film. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, yeah, like there's like there's just like worlds and worlds beyond the individual, but mm-hmm. the individual tries to fight yeah. against it, which you can see mm-hmm. in. There will be blood, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. Daniel Plainview's like disdain for humanity, yeah. but his mm. n- need or his sort of dependence on them.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. it might be good good to get some context on all the films as well. I kind of mm-hmm. that out. So, Boogie Nights mm-hmm. is, I mean, PTA was born in the San Fernando Valley, mm-hmm. which is the hub of pornography in the U.S., and so Boogie Nights is something of a an homage to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about the rise of Doug Diggler who is a fictional fictional porn star with um, a massive, like, yeah, yeah. good appendage. Yeah. And <laughs> mm-hmm. from there, he kind of, just his life in the porn industry, his descent into madness as well, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, Magnolia is, I wouldn't even know... Let
3: us start I don't know how to You really like Magnolia James? I do I would say, Like I mentioned earlier That I think Magnolia Would be the only competition For his best film With There Will Be Blood uh, A big reason why I like it Is I see PTA As making a lot of films Which he takes inspiration From certain directors For instance Boogie Nights Is very much his Scorsese film mm-hmm. uh, And then There Will Be Blood I see very much As a sort of Kubrickian Kubrickian Like yeah. character study uh, for me, Magnolia is his most Altmanesque film, which I feel like it's—it's it's very hard to pull off an Altman-style film. For those who don't know, uh, I'm referring to Robert Altman, who is a filmmaker who made films for many decades, uh, including stuff like Nashville, The Long Goodbye, uh, Gosford Park, stuff like that. Three Women. Oh, Three Women. Yeah, that's a good one too. Um,
4: oh, and Popeye. Which, oh dear lord. <laughs> um, is shout out to Brian. Brian's favorite movie, uh, Popeye, a mm-hmm. musical about Popeye, starring mm-hmm. Shelley Duvall and I want to say Robin Williams, but I could be wrong on that no, one. That it's
3: Robin Williams. That was his yeah. first feature film debut. Oh, really? Was, yeah, because wow. he, he had multiple films. It is film an debut.
4: insane movie. It's so funny. Mm-hmm.
3: But anyway, so the, the general style of Altman is very much uh, naturalistic. He was very anti-Hollywood. He had, um, in his films, many characters that would talk over each other kind of thing. He would have large ensemble casts. Uh, for instance, one of the films I mentioned, Nashville is a 3 hour and 15 minute film about 5 days in the city of Nashville featuring various country music stars Um, Emily earlier mentioned uh, well she gave a shout out to a friend of ours called Brian Uh, Brian when he introduced the film to me he said this is the best film about America ever made which I think is a pretty fair statement and uh, anyways Magnolia is very much like an altmanist film it's this ensemble cast it's uh, set in LA in the late 90's it's also Amy Mann the musical in a sense Um, true yeah mm -hmm. And, I, uh,
4: did she write the music specifically for the film? Or? I know
3: there was a couple of songs that she did write for the film, but some of the songs were already from like uh, albums she had made.
4: Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Should we play? On some... that note, yeah.
2: Why don't we play some Amy Man? We've got Amy Man, Save Me from the film Magnolia. Alrighty then.
4: It's time to unlock the bathroom door and talk about Crohn's and colitis. They're lifelong diseases.
5: They're on the rise among children under 10, and they involve severe abdominal pain, chronic diarrhea, and for many people, life-altering surgery. They're mired in secrecy and embarrassment, ignorance, and fear, which only adds to the pain. It's time to make it stop. Crohn's and colitis, make it stop for life. Visit crohn'sandcolitis.ca.
2: Hey there, Barev. We're the Armenian Students Association, and we're here to bring together everyone,
3: Armenians and non-Armenians,
2: who are interested in learning about the Armenian culture here at UBC.
3: Find us on Facebook at ASAUBC to stay up to date. We look forward to seeing you at our future events.
6: 101. For once in life I finally felt that someone needed
2: on the real world CITL 101.9 FM um, just then we heard Amy Man Save Me from the Magnolia soundtrack mm-hmm. and after that we had Shelly Duvall's He Needs Me from the Popeye musical soundtrack and then from the Punch Junk Love soundtrack mm-hmm. Um I just realized my microphone um, <laughs> uh, yeah so Punch Junk Love which is the next film in his filmography P- Paul Thomas Anderson after Magnolia mm-hmm
3: I think it's
4: my favorite, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, It's funny. It's Mm -hmm. heartfelt. (laughs) It's also a movie that you need to watch like a thousand times and each time you just learn something new or see something new, Mm -hmm. hear something new. So
3: you can just appreciate Adam Sandler's blue suit all that much more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: So basically the movie is about... um, Oh my god, what is his name? Is it Barry?
3: Barry Egan.
4: Barry yeah. Egan. Um he owns some sort of he like runs, uh he a runs a business. Show. Okay. No, no, he doesn't re- he works yeah, he works out of what looks like a mechanic shop. Mm-hmm. He he works next to one. Um, um but, but he, he sells them. he sells um like fungers. Yeah, he sells like <laughs> like like <laughs> themed toilet um like paraphernalia w- Paraphernalia to hotels in Vegas, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the movie just sort of um, he at the beginning of the movie, he discovers like a, a toy piano on the street, uh, saves it from being hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to watch Adam Sandler like run with a piano. So that's <laughs> where the movie starts and then from there it just sort of gets into his um, quiet personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, and his then sisters, all, his sisters. all of his sisters, he's got something he has, like, like seven, seven sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, what's her name? Like Emily from 24. Emily. Uh, Chloe <laughs> anyway. O'Brien. Oh, yeah. Chloe. 24 name. Uh, her name, whatever her name is in real life. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, she's funny. So mm-hmm. she's, in she's
1: movie. the sister that we see
3: the um, most. I think she's, uh, she's the one who introduces
4: sister. Barry to, What's her name? <gasps>
3: the love interest. The love uh, interest
4: who is played Emily. by Emily, Emily Watson. Watson. That's right, yeah. Um mm-hmm. crap, what's her name? Um anyway, so they go on a very awkward dinner date. Um She's called Lena in
2: the film. Lena. Yeah, Lena. Yeah.
4: Um so yeah, they go uh, they go on a very strange dinner date um, Mm -hmm. where, like, all you can hear in the restaurant where they're eating is, like, all these, like, strange buzzing noises. Mm -hmm. Um, And these buzzing noises are sort of uh, present, like, throughout the entire film. Um, Mm -hmm. And then from there, Barry, like, is head over heels, but, like, too awkward and shy to uh, figure out what to do with his feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he figures out what he wants to do with his feelings. Lena goes to Hawaii. um, Mm
2: -hmm. Also, throughout the whole film... um, He's got this kind of scheme whereby he's kind of figured out how to manipulate a coupon system at the That's supermarket. Right. Yeah. So he buys, I don't know how many pudding cups, but, but quite a lot, plenty of pudding cups, so mm-hmm. that he can, like, rack up all of these frequent free,
4: fires.
3: free, mm. This was actually miles, based yeah. on um, a real life thing that happened. It was, I can't remember the name of the guy, but it was some guy living in the Midwest in uh, late 2000, and early 2001. He <sighs> sort of. Uh, found this scheme with some kind of company that was selling, like, chicken products or something like that, and he bought a rather large amount of them just to get air miles. Uh, He went to court for it. I don't know if he ended up going to jail, but, um, yeah, PTA saw that, and he was like, well, you know, Adam Sandler could do that, which I mean, he did.
4: So then, um, Adam Sandler's, like, sort of, um, like, journey to love hinges on his, um, Mm -hmm. like, bounty of pudding, um, -hmm. until, uh, yeah, so Lena goes away on a business trip to Hawaii, and mm. um, suddenly Barry realizes that he didn't need the pudding cups, even though the like the first hour of the movie is sort of like set up upon this mm. scheme that he has, so that he doesn't actually have to pay for his ticket. Um, and then in that sort of like very weird sort of dreamlike um, like I guess interlude, uh, mm. Shelley Duvall's. Um He Needs Me plays while Barry, uh now looking somewhat of an alien in terms of like the way the movie yeah. is shot, um, travels to Hawaii yeah. and finds his true love.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And then but then when they return they get hit by a car
3: at which we'll say more Hoffman enters in Probably my second favorite of his PTA roles, he plays the antagonist. <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> the Mattress, Mattress
2: Man. Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so early on in the film, kind of in his solitude bag, he has this kind of moment where he calls a phone sex line mm-hmm. and doesn't really engage Georgia with it. Georgia Peach. Yeah, Georgia <laughs> Peach. Doesn't really engage with it, but... He's gets, just doing it because he wants like to talk to somebody. Yeah, he basically. needs the company. But then ends up being blackmailed. Extorted. By extorted, yeah. Um, so it's he's dealing with this throughout the whole plot as well, and mm-hmm. it kind of culminates with him visiting Philip Seymour Hoffman mm-hmm. with his newfound kind of
3: vigor. Yeah. He's able to defeat him with the power of love. Yeah. 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 yeah.
4: And I feel like um all of these sort of like the pudding, it's the mattress man, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like interstellar. But it's sort of um is pushing towards like this absurdity that i think comes to like um permeate the the rest of his films afterwards Mm -hmm, sort mm -hmm. of these like alternate realities vaguely um like definitely Mm -hmm. i i would say that there will be blood just because of the time that it's set in and how far removed from it we are that that um has this like sense of like removal or like like alienation,
1: yeah, and mm-hmm. then the and master,
4: the um, or no, what comes after that? Yeah, the, the master. master yeah, yeah, five years um, after. That is definitely. A, so, do you want to talk about the master, James? You're into mm-hmm. hating yeah. on Scientology.
3: Oh yeah. Uh, so the master was uh the second PTA film I ever saw. The first one was There Will Be Blood. Around the time it came out, uh, which I don't think we mentioned, but Daniel Day Lewis won the Oscar for that's how I watched it. And then The Master I watched five years after, uh, me and a few friends, shout out to Brian. um, We headed down to Seattle to go see the film in 70mm. For all you non-film peoples out there, basically, uh, movies for a long time were shot on film, like the stuff that you would put in really old cameras. And this would come in a variety of different sizes. Uh, The most common is 35mm. 70mm used to be used a lot more, but it is rarely used nowadays, basically just for IMAX. Can be
4: seen in The Dark Knight Rises. That's
3: right. Um, I believe Interstellar was shot on 70mm. No, 35 and and then blown up to 70. My mistake. But yeah, so The Master was uh, PTA's only film shot on 70mm. And what it's about is it stars Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman in what is by far his best PTA role. And this was also just a dream pairing for me. I'd love to have seen these two act. And I'm glad that before uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman died, uh, DFTR... Um, yeah, they, uh, DFTR means Don't Fear the Reaper. But oh. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Joaquin Phoenix plays this very much um, animalistic uh, veteran of World War II who's very aimless after it. He just sort of goes around the country traveling from job to job, getting involved in various crimes, running a lot, and he ends up on this boat... Uh, that just sort of is traveling in the Atlantic Ocean, I believe it is
4: for it's a, wedding, it yeah, seems. a wedding. Yeah, there's a wedding,
3: and he meets this one. He's kind of chasing alcohol as well. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah,
4: more than anything, he's driven yeah. by his alcoholism yeah. mm-hmm.
3: to numb the to numb the things. To numb being Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. But uh, so he meets this charismatic individual by the name of Lancaster Dodd, and Mr. Dodd here. Uh, also likes to drink alcohol quite a bit but anyways, they become very close friends and uh, Lancaster sort of indoctrinates him into this uh, essentially cult they have going on there Uh, you never really find out the name for it, it's only sort of called the cause and the rest of the film is just basically Joaquin Phoenix's sort of rise to number two, as well as just sort of being a character study on what kind of person you have to be to be either the uh, sort of blind believer in something is quite frankly is inherently stupid is this, and the leader for it. Uh, the film garnered a lot of controversy around the time it came out, and this was sort of what drew me to it, because uh, if you've been listening to this uh, sort of description of it and thinking, wow, this sounds like the Church of Scientology a lot, well, you're right. It pretty <laughs> much was the Church of Scientology. Um, I've always had an interesting relationship with the Church of Scientology. I don't want to go into it too far, but I'm not a fan, shall we say. Okay. Yeah. So this movie
4: really hit home. This
3: This movie really hit home. And... It's, uh, it's not actually, I mean, the film isn't actually about the Church of Scientology. They're never talking about the, uh, the founders or anything like that. They never say the word Scientology. It's just sort of a, like a character study of the kind of the person you'd have to be to get indoctrinated into this cult, which I found very interesting. When I was going into the film, I was looking for just sort of a, a history of the Church of Scientology or condemnation, and I got ten times more. And it's, yeah. even though I've seen all of his films now, with the exception of Heart Eight. Um, it's still by far my favorite and just one of my favorite films of all time
4: just in terms of like so you you said that you were expecting to like um, for the film to like condemn Scientology mm-hmm. but I think that's something really cool about PTA movies is that um, no matter how to um, how uh, like sort of uh, like mm-hmm. crude or like um, vulgar or like just like malevolent some of his characters seem to be mm-hmm. um you always have some sort of, like, sympathy for them, so mm-hmm. what's interesting in the Master is that you, um, you are put within, sort of, uh, Lancaster Dodd and,
3: um, Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, and Joaquin
4: Phoenix is, we'll <laughs> um, like, sort of, like, th- their logic, so uh, everything in terms of their drive and their commitment to the cause, mm-hmm. um, you believe it, and you don't question it, you don't hate them for it. Maybe you mm-hmm. hate um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character a bit because mm-hmm. he's so um, uh, like authoritarian but mm-hmm. at the same time you kind of have this like sort of immense respect for them. You get to see so much of their lives and their um, mm-hmm. their pains that um, you really are able to sympathize with them and mm-hmm. I think um, and sort of co- uh, contrasted with that is like the um the sort of, like, um, hatred that they get from people who are not within the cause, like, within the movie. So you see a lot of people, like, yelling at them or trying to incarcerate them. Um, They spend uh, a bit of time in prison throughout the film, Mm -hmm. and yet their spirit, at least um, for the most part, is, like, sustained. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that's really something to be said about his films where you can have these like hate hateable characters who are also very lovable yeah. Um, yeah. like you definitely get that and there will be you blood I feel
2: like the first half of that film maybe longer they're on that boat and they, they feel so isolated from the rest of humanity mm-hmm. they can't really be long yeah it just seems like oh well, that's how things are like mm-hmm. I feel like I would have been happy to be on that boat it was kind of weird and kind of wacky and they were doing weird Experiment. It's, it's a society mm-hmm. that
3: exists outside of society.
2: Yeah. Of thing. Right. And then as soon as they're back, there's this. I don't know.
4: Well, I feel dissolution. like. dissolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They're matched by kind of society and then.
4: Mm. They've got so many it. obstacles, yeah. and then uh, it sort of is revealed towards the end. Uh, mm-hmm. Ooh, via Laura Dern. Um, oh, yeah. That um, there are some holes in Philip Seymour Hoffman's sort of like gospel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, from there, there's just, like, growing doubt. Um, But, yeah, I guess, sort of, I think we could all agree that Paul Thomas Anderson movies are just, like, full of doubt and Mm -hmm. confusion, but Mm -hmm. also love.
3: Mm, That's fair. Not Uh, unlike Interstellar. mm, But (laughs) one quick last thing I'd like to mention about The Master. Uh, For any workaholics fans out there, uh, and by that I mean the show, not being a workaholic. (laughs) um, Jillian Bell, who plays probably the funniest recurring character on the show... Uh, actually has a very small role in The Master. I, I'm i not 100% sure, but I think it was her feature film debut.
4: She also has a small role in, in inherent, inherent Vice. vice. She's a right.
3: waitress. Yeah. She's doing a
2: lot of good She is, roles, yeah.
3: yeah. She yeah. also
4: has a really funny guest appearance in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's right. That was kind of her first yeah. big thing.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, In The Master, she plays um, the scene where you see uh, someone sort of getting indoctrinated and going through the, I can't remember what they call the process, but sort of like you uh, you get taken through like your past lives through your mind, kind of thing, mm-hmm. and you can see the world as it used to be. She is the person who this is being done towards, which is mm-hmm. just a nice little tidbit there for you. Yeah,
4: yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. So I guess the other thing that we can sort of glean from his mm-hmm. oeuvre so far is um, his sort of. Um, Commitment to like period pieces, I guess. Like each film has like a very distinct time Mm -hmm. frame. I mean, uh, I guess excluding excluding Punch punch Drunk Love, love. I think it's really um, that
3: Magnolia are the only films that aren't period pieces. Yeah,
4: um, but everything else sort of like the master, like uh, after the Korean War, Mm -hmm. the Second World War. I thought okay, sorry, (sighs) sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, And then you have Boogie Nights, which is like this like really awesome like. Um, sort of like microscopic look at the cocaine fueled 80s. Mm. Yeah. 70s you get the and highs 80s.
3: of the 70s and the lows of the 80s. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Um, but yeah. And Inherent Vice. And Inherent Hello. Vice.
2: Which is also about the drug fueled mm. 70s. Mm, yeah. California.
3: Also
4: in California is Set in California. Most people, yeah. Yeah. Most of them. Um, yeah, I think they all are. Or,
3: uh, I think The Master's the only one that isn't entirely in California, but even then, a good chunk of the film yeah. still is there. Yeah. Mm. I well, I mean, he you know, like grew up there, so it's fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: The most, like, dismal part of the film mm-hmm. is not in California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take from that what you will.
3: Definitely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I think no. it's fair to say that Inherent Vice all holds a special place in our heart. Oh, absolutely, it was actually Because, yeah. believe it or not, well, I saw it four times. But besides that, um, uh, this show that you're listening to right now, The Real World, our demo was us talking about... Inherent Vice. So it's it's the film that got us on the air. We're we're here surfing on the Miraculous. waves with you guys, <laughs> thanks to Inherent Vice. I'm not sure why. Yeah. So why
2: don't we rehash some of that demo material? Yeah. <laughs> and bring it like bring it back into kind of like on the air. All Shall we?
4: I'm um, Roll so over it with a little Neil Young first. Okay. Sure. Let's um, play yeah, a
3: little. Perhaps Neil a little young. young Neil for those Scott Pilgrim fans out there. Oh whoa. Yeah.
2: Um, okay, so here we've got Journey to the Post by Neil Young. All
4: then.
7: It's another song I wrote about my ranch. I'm going to sing mostly new songs tonight, maybe only a couple more old ones. But I've written so many new ones that I can't think of anything else to do with them other than sing them. It's been kind of interesting for me, this tour. I've been out for two weeks. We've we've been at um, about, I don't know how many cities. But anyway, singing some of these songs has been like, you know, living them as as well as singing them. I wrote three of the ones, I think, on the road while I was out here.
0: Uh-huh.
6: A Jihad for Love Whitewater Black Gold A Red Girl's Guide to Reasoning East Hastings Pharmacy Ai Weiwei, Never Sorry, Misrepresentation
2: Cinema Politica UBC screens politically charged films with speakers and discussions every month. Screenings take place at the Norm Theatre in the sub and are by donation. To learn more, visit cinemapolitica.org UBC.
5: A large man wearing green pants grabbed a woman by the hair and slammed her face into the glass window of a fire extinguisher case. He pulled her head back and hit her again, continuing to do so until the glass broke. The woman sustained deep cuts all over her face and eventually became unresponsive. The man then released his grip and she fell to the floor. This is a scene from an Emmy Award winning cartoon. If we want violence against women to stop, shouldn't we stop treating it like a joke? Join the conversation at hashtag not okay.
6: This is scruffy.
2: Uh, Welcome back to The Real World on CITL One Point Nine FM. That was uh, Neil Young's Journey Through the Past from Inherent Vice, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's most recent film, came out mm-hmm. last year. Uh, we all loved it. It's based on... Uh, the Thomas Pynchon, the Thomas Pynchon novel, novel of the same name and Vice. Mm-hmm. It's I all about this. Was the
3: the first Pynchon adaptation? Was it?
2: Oh uh, yeah, ever yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, He's
4: been called like unadaptable or something. Is mm-hmm. that a word?
2: Yeah, I would say this is most his most adaptable book mm. of all his books. I guess <laughs> yeah, sure the, the most easily accessible for sure. But anyway, um, the book is about <laughs> the story is about um, Larry Doc. Um, air quote doc Sportello uh, and who's kind of PI but is Mostly stoned the whole time Mania stoner mm-hmm. subsidiarily a PI mm-hmm. and his um his ex Luna visits him one day like asking for help she wants to kind of like her husband like, her boyfriend's wife is kind of mm-hmm. uh
4: Plotting, or
3: plotting something bad—it's like very kidnapping. much the, uh, the typical film noir setup, some kind of like insurance scam or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they end up uh, subverting it by the film's end. Um, like this, it's very much set up to be kind of like a daylight film noir. You don't have the chiaroscuro lighting kind of thing, mm-hmm. the constant usage of like shadows and all that. It's set in, uh, I believe it was Gordita Beach in California, so it's very yeah. sunny the whole time. But. Um, yeah, I his so disposition think throughout the whole thing is pretty, like...
4: No, yeah, yeah. like, so, uh, like, just sort of riffing off James there. Um, like, the... So the movie sets up itself up as if it's going to be a film noir. The first mm-hmm. uh, shots we get of Doc are, like, pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Um, he's alone in his room. Mm. There's, like, this, like, very ominous blue lighting over him. And then um from then on it's sort of like this bright haze. And mm-hmm. so I feel like the movie like um going along this idea of like um like uh yeah, subverting a genre, mm-hmm. it, it sort of like uh disavows like any like rational trajectory. Some mm-hmm. like something or like in all aspects of the film really, there's no sort of li- like distinguished like linearity, there's no uh real access to uh any of the characters um, there's no real access to any information throughout the film so like getting this sort of like little crumb of like a genre mm-hmm. which then leads you to nothing I think really under like, or does a good job of like underlining um, what the film seems to be about which is confusion and then mm-hmm. ultimately um, like love mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Um, and okay let's talk about the cinematography because this is the film which I don't know the in terms of Paul Thomas Anderson, the cinematography jumps out most of me. I can remember mm-hmm. some shots so clearly, um, like named. Like the one for me is when he wakes up from being knocked out. Mm-hmm. You just get that shot of the sky and all the bunting above him, the red bunting. Mm-hmm. But um, Robert Elswit was the cinematographer on that one. Yeah, he, certainly he did a good job. Yeah, um,
4: he was a cinematographer on a pretty of, much all of yeah. Paul Thomas mm-hmm. Anderson's films, yeah, Magnolia. except for um, *The Master*, I think. Mm, yeah um, so. but other than that they've worked together i think almost exclusively mm-hmm. um i was just reading an interview between the two of them um uh where robert Ellswit says that working with paul thomas anderson is a kind of um <laughs> kind of uh, an experience unlike any other he's very like free form uh, not a lot of rehearsal goes mm-hmm. into it um but anyway, so they shoot uh, their films on anamorphic lenses, which I guess gives um, like a very distinct feeling to his movies, which I think we can all agree. All like, even within *The Master*, where he uses I can't I can't remember the cinematographer's name, um, but. Um, there's this sort of, like, closeness and yet distance from the way the characters are shot. You get this really interesting depth of field in um, by using an anamorphic lens. And I think that's used, like, to, um, a, like, a very, um, like, uh, what's, like, developed point, I think, in Inherent Vice. You have a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you have a lot of uh, far extending and also like very strange close-ups uh, throughout the film.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, and it's <laughs> like it's true of all of these films as well. Like Magnolia and Boogie Nights both mm-hmm. had, and there will
3: be blood as well. I was having just watched it yesterday. Some mm-hmm. fantastic shots. Mm, that's right. I think there will be blood won an Oscar for cinematography as oh, well. Yeah, uh, It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it definitely got Best Actor, and I know it got another one for sure. Best adapted uh, no, screen. Was or, no, no it's that not know one best adapted screenplay. What was it? Was it and
4: also, there's I like some contention about whether or not that's like actually an adapted
3: screenplay. Well, I mean, it uh, it like can't be book, it isn't. but, but Brian,
4: <laughs> shout out to Brian, would <laughs> disagree. Um, he would say that it's not an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that? Then? Um, because well, I guess the book oil, um. Which, supposedly, um, There Will Be Blood is based off of. It was only used as sort of like an inspiration. Uh, there's not really any direct
3: It very much uh, sort reference. of gives us the setting, but the plot is very much an original creation of uh, PTAs.
2: hmm Okay, well, we're c- coming to a close here on mm. CITL 101.9 FM. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's been fun. Nice little roundup of Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. So uh, just
3: before we go, I'd just like to give a quick shout out to the Rio Theater. Oh. Saw the Rocky Horror Picture Show there last night, my probably umpteenth time seeing it there. They had a special April Fool's Day cut of the film which was very nice. They had the Vancouver Shadow cast out. Always a good time, so what's up Rio? <laughs> <laughs> um we'll okay, hear back exactly. from them next week. Yeah. <laughs> <all right. laughs> uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned, yeah. Thanks very
2: much for listening. Um coming up now we have Melanie with brand new key. Which and is from uh, <laughs> which is from Boogie Nights. Uh, next up, we have Community Living coming up. Community Living from nine to ten, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so stay tuned for that on CITL one hundred one point nine FM. Alrighty then. <laughs>